Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode five of Say Who, Say Pod, hosted by myself, Christian Capel, alongside Danny O'Neill. Um, and we sit here with the University of Washington coming off of a football weekend that I think everybody knew would shape the the future of their season um, that, that could maybe be a turning point one way or the other. And here we are on a, on a Tuesday afternoon um, with the entire future of, of the program having turned on this weekend for reasons that I don't think anybody could have anticipated. Um, it started with the firing of offensive coordinator John Donovan announced um, on Sunday and on Monday, obviously uh, Jen Cohen announces that Jimmy Lake has been suspended for one game uh, for his sideline altercation with walk-on linebacker Ruparake Fuovai. And Danny, it, it doesn't feel like Jimmy Lake is going to coach another game at, at the University of Washington in some respects. And if he does return to coach uh, the Colorado game or the Apple Cup or both games, I don't know that anybody following this program believes Jimmy Lake is going to be the coach of this team in 2022. I think that's a pretty fair assessment. It it would be hard it would be hard to think that if he came back it would be anything other than hey we'll give you one last stab at it that basically we can't afford to hire the coach we want right now so we'll give you one more run that i mean there's a lot of there was before the season started there were issues with recruiting right like before the season started yeah and that's only gotten worse that was that was a terrible week for Jimmy Lake specifically. And I don't know if if that's a normal week and that happens on the sideline, if that's a normal game and that happens on the sideline, does Jimmy Lake get suspended? I I think so. And but I'm not but I'm not positive. But after everything that happened, I thought that was that was really the only option that the school had unless they were going to outright fire him because the, how everything added up the way they lost the decisions that were made, the fact that there's that altercation, then there's stuff on the, on the field afterward between the two teams. You, you just got the sense that it was, it, it looked terrible. It, it looked out of control. It it just, I, I ended up coming away from the game feeling like that team played way harder and deserved better coaching than than what it got over the course of the last week. That was very much my feeling. And the, the firing of John Donovan is is really a that was a foregone conclusion in in my mind. And something honestly that should have happened much earlier this year because that that was foreseeable. But yeah, do you do you think he's do you think he'll coach again? At Washington? Yeah. I think there is a slim chance he might coach the last two games of this season. Interesting. Uh, yeah. See, I guess I'd assumed that he was going to coach the last two games. The language. And the, then they might see. The language in the statement they released, you know, if, if you take that statement in a vacuum at face value, you think, okay, one game suspension. They specified he's back on November 14th, the day after the ASU game. He'll be back. Um, I I just think that through his actions and through the university's response to his, his actions and suspending him, they have created a situation where it is untenable for him to continue as head coach. Um, I don't know how he could go out and recruit in the current climate, 
you know, considering I, I agree with that. Considering I, I think he that's was just a really strong point. Um, I don't know how you can have him represent the program when you've just made a, a statement that you know he he put hands on a player in such a way that that required you to to take really unprecedented action. I don't believe any head coach in University of Washington history has ever been suspended by the school for for conduct off the top of my head, and I um, I, I would think that 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 would be. You know. Let's start there. Should, should he have been suspended? I mean, you. I'm assuming that you saw it the same way I did, which was through the 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 Twitter replay from 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 the t- the TV copy. What what did you think when you saw it? Somebody sent me the clip during the game, uh-huh. and I watched it, and I thought, "Oh wow, that's an overreaction. He shouldn't yeah. have, he shouldn't have done that." Yep. And then I went about my business. I did not immediately believe it was going to be a dominant storyline that would alter Jimmy Lake's future as Washington's coach. I didn't think right away, Oh, he's going to get suspended for that. Um, I didn't think it would be something that on its own would cost him his job. And let's, let's be honest. It's not going to on its own. I mean, it, right. The, he, he would be, if, if they were winning, even if they'd suspended him, he'd be coming back. I didn't see the clip until I was headed. I was on light rail headed from the stadium to the airport for my red-eye flight. And and when I saw it, the, my initial reaction was, oh, that's going to be a huge problem because he – Coach like bumps one of the assistants and then – was it Bob Gregory he bumped? He shoves an assistant coach out of the way and then hits a referee, kind of pushes him and then gets to it. And then it was pretty clear he kind of slapped the face mask but then also shoved Ruparake in the back. And it, people were immediately referencing. I saw a couple of references to Woody Hayes, and I was like, it wasn't that because it wasn't, he no. wasn't angry. He wasn't angry at an opponent. It wasn't lashing out. He was mad that the player was engaging with Oregon, and he was trying to correct that. But I was like, well, his intentions might have been good, but the overall. I, I wondered exactly how you were going to be able to, as a school, if you didn't want to punish him, how you were going to be able to avoid that, given the fact it sure looked like there was physical contact made. Yeah, I football is a very different sport in that the I would I would I don't feel comfortable saying the the vast majority of people who watch it every weekend did probably didn't play the game. There there's mm-hmm. there's a huge gap between people who love football and people who actually played. Um, and I'm, I'm one of those people. I did not, I've not played football uh, at any organized level ever. Um, only tackle football I've ever been involved in is, is throwing the ball around at the park with my friends as a kid. So because of that, I try really hard um, not to analyze those kind of events solely through my own perspective as someone who's, who's never played. And I, I try to get the opinions of people who have been involved in the game or try to see it, you know, well, if, if I were part of this program or if I were part of another program and I'd been interacting with football coaches at practices and games my entire life, how might I view this differently? And Mm -hmm. I, I know people who have played are far more likely to see something like that and say, well, what's the big deal? You know, I've had coaches grab my face mask. I've had coaches, you know, grab me or redirect me by the shoulder pads. It it happens. That's just coaching. The player was being undisciplined, and it's the coach's job to do what he needs to do in the heat of battle to get it sorted out, all those sort of things. Um, just because it's accepted and commonplace and it's something that happens doesn't mean it's okay. And, like, 
this is not something that happens all the time, right? I mean, if you if TV cameras were constantly capturing, you know, major college head coaches putting hands on players um, during games, you would hear about it. So it it's not like I I didn't think it was the the worst thing in the world. I didn't, you know, I absolutely believe if they're eight and one and and in the playoff discussion the school probably finds a way to reprimand him publicly without a suspension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I, to me, the, the big picture is you do not suspend him for this if you intend to keep him as your coach because of, of the, um, the disadvantage you've put him at. Yeah. Okay, so it, I, I want to go back to what you talked about, the, the reaction, because I, I agree that the, mo- the majority of people reacted with the idea that happens in football sometimes and and it does my experience has been with most former players and maybe this is the difference of dealing with mostly nfl players which is what the bulk of my experience as a reporter has been is there's generally a very firm line in that you don't touch the player yes you remember jeremy pruitt the uh the tennessee coach yeah there was was it last year or the year before there was a there was a play in which his quarterback fumbled as he was trying to score on a quarterback sneak. He kind of jumped up and he fumbled, and as he came off the field, Pruitt grabbed his face mask. And I remember just universal reaction among former players that I knew, which was, "Don't you don't do that? Like you don't you don't you don't do that to a player." Again, this was different because it wasn't it wasn't that sort of grab. He was trying to get. Coach Lake was trying to get Ruperake away from the opponent. Like that was really the 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 emphasis for it. But that I so I knew there was going to be dialogue about that. And then just I felt like the, the in the previous week everything that had happened with with Lake and the things he said about Oregon and then the decisions he made in the game like it could not have come at a worse time for that. But cuz I agree with you if they'd been 8 and 1 I don't I don't know per se that he's suspended. I do think they would have had to say something publicly about it, but I felt like that was the suspension comes after everything else and I kind of think it's something that he could a coach could survive if if it wasn't a situation like what we're seeing at at Washington. If it wasn't a situation where there were questions about the recruiting even even before the year started and it is the year has progressed in a pretty you had a line which I thought was really accurate, which was this loss was not worse than the Montana loss. The Montana loss is 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 worse. It's the worst thing that's happened to Washington this year. Yes, but that was a worse week for for Jimmy Lake than anything else that that he could have experienced. The fact that it was against Oregon, the fact the, the way it happened, the the insults that went back and forth. I, I'm mad because I can't even be upset about what Cristobal, what Mario Cristobal said in their locker room afterward, which. I thought was ridiculous and awful. I can't even be that upset about it because Washington, Washington's coaching staff, not just behaved, but, but coached so poorly over the course of the week. I, I wrote this recently too, but I, I keep thinking of, you know, in, in Lorenzo Romar's final season, the, it was, they were two and they went finished two and 16 in conference play, but it was not a foregone conclusion. He was going to get fired. It was, it was, as close to like a 50-50 debate as you can get. The fan base was split. They had a great recruiting class coming in. There was reason to think they could have a dramatic turnaround the next year and be a lot better. 
um, but they hadn't been to the tournament in many years. The program had declined. Um, but w- through his conduct and the way he treated people and the respect and admiration and trust that he cultivated through his actions and through the person that he genuinely was for 15 years, Lorenzo Romar was going to get the benefit of the doubt to the extent that no athletic director at Washington was going to fire him until it was absolutely blatantly clear that that was the only option and there was no justifying bringing him back. And and Jimmy Lake has done the opposite for himself. He has, he has said so many things since this season started. First, he set it up with these really high expectations that they haven't even kind of delivered on. Um, he's addressed losses in a really strange way and in a way that I, I know has rubbed the administration the wrong way, almost kind of nonchalant. His comparison between the Pac-12 to the NFL and how, well, it's just a lot of parody. It's going to be tough, hard-fought games. You know, we're playing close games. We're a couple plays away from being, you know, having this record and being in first place and um, not appearing to be particularly bothered by losing to Montana immediately afterward, saying, I, you know, I wouldn't say I'm shocked when asked if he was shocked. <sighs> and then, you know, having a, a decidedly more contrite approach at his Monday press conference to the extent that to me it was obvious someone had had, had that conversation with him. So I think there's been coaching behind the scenes of, hey, that you know, here's how people need to hear the head coach talk about these struggles, and he hasn't he hasn't met that bar in that regard, and then has the complete unforced error with the academically prowess thing before the Oregon game, mm-hmm. which in again this is all stuff that's totally peripheral and minor, that, and you can look past if you're winning, um, but he has he is he has amplified frustration with the team's performance by uh, the things that he's said and and now the way that he's behaved on the field during the game and and in his explanation of his interaction w- with Rupert Fuavai he said he talked about how you know oh he you know he was he was jawing with this Oregon player and I was trying to make sure we didn't get another penalty we talked all week about keeping your poise and it's a heated rivalry and it's it's trash talk yet in that moment he he, he is not um, he's, he's not embodying those traits. No. And then you have you have what happened after the game. You had multiple personal foul penalties during the game. You've had multiple multiple personal foul penalties all season. Late hits. The team has looked undisciplined. And you know, to me, the the big picture issue, zooming out from the sideline incident itself, is is the image of a coach who has lost control of his team. I wondered how well they played their butts off on on Saturday night. I have I don't this I don't mind a team that gets personal foul penalties. Like I don't I don't mind a a team that that plays hard or up to the edge and over it. It's a fine line. And it is. I I I liked how feisty they they were in this game. I actually honestly thought that Oregon's receivers I I thought that Oregon's receivers were were antagonist the 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 way that Kyler Gordon was blocked in that game is pretty ridiculous. Like the, I'll just that was something that that I paid attention to. I, I didn't I didn't have I didn't have an issue with the way the team played, um, or in the most part the, the things that have the things that have made me mad have been there's certainly been some problems with the execution of getting when you get a twelve men on the field penalty 
and then almost have it happen again. What they had to use a timeout, didn't they? Oh no, wait. I'm sorry. That was the Jacksonville game where Jacksonville had to do that back and forth. But that perhaps the, you're the, thinking of the delay of game after a false start. That's what I was. It was <laughs> that they get the false start, then have the delay of game. The punt decision. I I still don't. I I don't have. That, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen a coach do when they decided to punt fourth and ten from their own ten. Um, I I still don't. I still don't have a great understanding of his rationale there other than he didn't know what else to do and didn't want to give them a short field to score a final touchdown as as a as a as a final to plant the flag right there on him and and run it up a little bit more but I'm just surprised man I'm surprised at how down I was so excited for Jimmy Lake to become this team's head coach like I I I was I I thought he was ready I I was pretty certain that he was going to leave at different points um and not even just what he was going to, he got offered the San Jose state job. They, they were after him. I, I was pretty sure he was going to leave. I was excited when he got the job and I can't remember being this wrong about a, a young and rising coach because of, and maybe it was because how well the DBs played and how well he recruited DBs. And I just assumed that that would be that, that that would be spread across. And I gave him the benefit of the doubt when he hired John Donovan saying, okay, maybe he really does know exactly what he wants. And I think he did know what he wanted. He just had no idea how to get it or was overly certain that what he saw in Donovan was something that Donovan was going to be able to be delivered. It's hard for me to believe that this has, this has cratered as completely as it had. And all I can come back is that I, I thought Jimmy Lake was someone who he is not. I thought he was ready for this in a way that he absolutely is not. I thought he had head, star head coach potential written all over him. Um, and, you know, anytime a head coaching job doesn't work out, there's going to be a faction of people who want to act like, oh, he's just a, you know, he's, he, he's just a complete joke and doesn't know what he's doing. And no, like he got the job for a reason. He yeah. he worked hard. Yeah. He worked his way up. He, he deserved this opportunity. Jimmy Lake deserved the opportunity to be a head coach. He was an elite defensive backs coach. He was a good defensive coordinator. He recruited really good players and developed them even better. He's put so many guys in the NFL. He you know if you remember the Chris Peterson era fondly, you must think highly of Jimmy Lake because he was a key component in that. I don't know that they, they get to the heights that they got to, especially defensively, if he's not their defensive backs coach. You could you could go back and forth on you know who's really responsible for the scheme and, and you know the mastermind of, of it all because Pete Kwiatkowski obviously was was the coordinator for most of that time. But um, you don't have those DBs playing the way that they played if they're being coached by someone other than Jimmy Lake. Um, and, and on top of that, he he had that head coach vibe. He seemed he he carried himself like a CEO. He seemed very organized, and he had a goal of being a head coach. And he worked toward that goal. He he visited other college programs and NFL teams, you know, during his own time during the off season to to be exposed to different ideas. And and he took all these notes, and he, he's got all these these mentors who he's relied on who are still working in the pros and. Um, you know, he, he did, he turned down multiple opportunity. You know, he could have been the defensive coordinator at Alabama a couple yeah. different times. Um, so, you know, was Nick's, is Nick Saban wrong? You know, would, would that have been a crazy hire for Nick Saban to make? So, you know, there, there was, this guy had potential written all over him and, and there's, you know, there's nothing to suggest that 
if he gets another head coaching opportunity down the road, he, he couldn't thrive in a different environment, having maybe learned some hard lessons. But um, maybe, man, what do you think happened, though, Christian? Because there's part of me this this when I was talking to my buddies this weekend, I was like, maybe I just got to he said a couple funny lines about Mike Leach. And I assumed that was a swagger that he really he really wasn't capable of carrying on a week in week out basis. I know what happened with the offense. Like, I understand that part of it. He made a drastic miscalculation about what John Donovan could do. He miscalculated how, how tough or how, how bruising his, his offensive line could be. But the part about him controlling the program and him setting the tone and, and the mess that recruiting co- – I, I don't understand what happened. See, I, I, think, I think Jimmy Lake made a drastic miscalculation on what Jimmy Lake could do offensively really? uh-huh. uh, I think this is his you know again maybe it's not his playbook I don't think he sat down next to John Donovan and said okay let's draw out the scheme together but this is his philosophy this is yes. what this is what he wanted to do 100% and, and so it it all comes back to him and I I think that's the that's that's the genesis of everything right at the core of this is is the offense um and because defensively, you know, the run defense has been a problem. It's concerning that he absolutely bullet point number one from January on. This is the priority is getting better against the run and they haven't. That's a problem. But like, if you're going to be bad at anything in college football, stopping the run isn't the worst thing to be bad at because running the football is not an efficient thing to do offensively just mm-hmm. just generally right if you if you give up 5.2 yards per carry that's really really bad if you give up 5.2 yards per pass that's pretty good so you know if, if teams have exclusively run the ball against them and scratched out ugly victories doing it yeah if yeah. if they were an average offense what would their record be if they were averaging 30 points a game what would their record be you know they probably have two losses. I don't think they're beating Michigan, and and they're probably losing. They're they're losing either to. They probably beat Oregon State, but they lose to Michigan and they lose to either UCLA or Oregon. Like they they they, they probably if they have an average offense, they probably got two losses right now. And that's what I think some people miss. Teams aren't running the ball against them because that's all they need to do to score. Teams are running the ball against them because they don't have to score that many points to beat them. Exactly. Like that's and this game was very similar to the Michigan game is there's this big eye-popping rushing total at the end and you're like they got ran all over and I'm like, "Well, man, you got to understand Washington has normal offense and that that scores 20 to 9 in the, at, at at halftime, right? Like if they just if they just have adequate average conference offense you've got 20 points given the field position they had yep. that that defense played its butt off. I felt the same way against Michigan. I don't think they would have been leading, but the, the reason it got away from them is they never put the opponent in the position where they had to do anything else. And then eventually your defense gives way. And that's going to happen. If you sit there and let someone get punched in the stomach for the 45th and 46th time, eventually things are going to buckle, which is, I feel what happened in, in both of those games. It does go back to the to the offense there. I do wonder about the recruiting, though. Why why was because there were signs before this season started that there were issues with recruiting, and that's I don't want to say that that's the primary issue right now because it's not. It's 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 definitely the the way that they've played on the field. But I don't 
that that's something that I thought this team was, if not going to excel at, continue. I certainly didn't expect recruiting to become the issue that it was with Jimmy Lake as the head coach. Somebody I talked to a couple months ago who who has worked in recruiting um, at the Pac-12 level said that it seems to me that that staff is all about ball. I think there's a culture in the building that it is. It's all, it's all about football and X's and O's and strategy and out scheming the opponent and development. And, you know, I, I think Jimmy Lake tried to run a college program like an NFL team. And that's not, that's not to say that these guys just don't recruit. They they're, they're at football games on Friday nights. They go on the road whenever they can, just like, just like any other staff. They're always, you know, they're reaching out. They, they, are in contact with these, you see kids posting graphics that, that the, the graphics team is designing for them. They're sending stuff out all the time. Um, but I, I don't think they are obsessed with recruiting as the very, very, very most important thing you can ever do the way that say Mario Cristobal and his staff at Oregon are. Um, and you know, Oregon has rubbed a lot of other conference teams the wrong way with how aggressive they've been. But what would you rather do? have everybody pissed at you and you're signing top 10 classes or not sign top 10 classes and you're getting out recruited by your biggest rivals. Um, so, you know, I just, that's never going to be Washington style. And that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily their style under Chris Peterson. You know, I think Chris Peterson's thing was always that it's, you know, they, they didn't want to have to beg kids to be interested Mm -hmm. in the university of Washington. They wanted to lay out what the university of Washington was about. And if, a prospect felt that that fit them, they would very much prioritize him and, and, you know, make him feel welcome and, and, you know, really sell him on the experience knowing that he was going to be receptive. I don't know that there is as much urgency to sell with this staff. Um, I, I get the sense that Jimmy Lake feels like development can trump signing a bunch of blue chip recruits and, and that, if blue chip, if, if the blue chips they target, which there's been a bunch, it's not like they haven't gone after the best players. They absolutely yeah. have. They just haven't been able to sign them. I, I think there's an urgency missing where it's like, if you don't get the four-star kid, it's not the end of the world because the three-star kid with a similar body and maybe not as refined skills, um, our staff can, can make him into the same type of player and make him into an NFL prospect. That's speculation on my part. It's just kind of my read on it. Um, yeah, behind the scenes, you know, in an honest moment, maybe Jimmy Lake's really concerned about their recruiting and feels like they should have landed some of these kids and is pissed that they didn't. I don't know. But it just, it, I've, I've just kind of gotten the vibe that they feel like, give us the body types and we'll do the rest. And I, that's not a recipe for success. You talked about the approach that they took and that on offense, this being what Jimmy Lake wants. I've seen Jimmy Lake as someone who, some of this comes from knowing his view of some of the things that were happening on offense at Washington toward the end of Jake Browning's time there, kind of how much movement there was pre-snap, all of the different things that they were trying to do and feeling that like, let's just, just, just get back to basics like run run the base, that he was very much of the Pete Carroll mindset, which is, hey, it's not about the complexity of what we do. It is about having a, a straightforward approach that the players understand and getting them to play that 
with with the maximum amount of energy. Like we 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 know who we are and we know what they what, what they do. And I know we I've talked about it several times here before of kind of laying out what Matt Rule did first at Temple, then at Baylor, and now he's at Carolina, which I think can be a viable approach. Like going after something in a different way can can be like you're zigging while everybody else is zagging. I I think that can work. The difficult part of that in selling that is kids don't want to go to a, a, a an offense that's running eye backs and and pounding it between the tackles. Like that's you're 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 sort of cordoning yourself off from some of the top talent. Now they still got a couple of pretty high profile wide receivers. I'll be interested to see if, if Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan kind of what their their view is on the program going forward. But that that that's a tough sell in some ways if, if you go that you have to you have to be successful. Because if if you're not if you're not going to be success, sexy, if you're not if you're not going to give those sort of skill position showcases like every other school is doing like you really got to win. You really got to yep. win when you're when, when you're doing it that way. And not only were they they not win. I mean, it was just it, it, that that was awful. And as you were talking about them being about all ball and just worried about like drawing up plays, I was like, yeah, there wasn't much evidence of that in the way that we saw their <laughs> offense d- displayed. There wasn't a whole lot of like, God, fourth and one. Are we going to quarterback sneak it or are we going to put Sean McGrew in there to run between the tackles? Like, it's just it's. It's brutal in some spots, and I, you referred to whether or not you were hallucinating. Am I wrong? Am I overly fixated on this punt? Like, am I am I wrong to think that's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen a coach do? Do you think once Jimmy Lake serves his suspension this week for the sideline incident that Jen Cohen will announce he's suspended indefinitely for the punt decision? Well, <laughs> Yeah, or I just think that that's they said it that you can't suspend a coach for deciding to punt, but they but they did. I was <laughs> I was standing next to Larry Stone from the Seattle Times on on the because we we get to go down the field for the last eight minutes of the game. Um, yeah, and when they sent the punt team out, I did a double take, and both of us were just incredulous. I I didn't I could not believe what I was seeing that they were going to punt that ball. Now I've seen some I've seen some people kind of defend it, saying look. It's it's kind of a feel thing, kind of a vibe thing. The three pre- the three previous plays were such a disaster that there was just so little chance that they were possibly going to pick up a fourth and ten. That you know you might as well try to stop them and get the ball back. I completely disagree. Um, I I think you are significantly more likely to complete a single ten yard pass than you are to stop Oregon three and out when they've been running it down your throats the entire half. Receive a punt, get the ball back with 40 seconds left, and then embark on like an 85 or 90 yard touchdown drive in 40 seconds with no timeouts. That's like a ton of different stuff that has to happen, none of which you're good at. Completing one 10 yard pass is not something this team is very good at either. That's a double digit gain, Danny. That's asking yeah. a lot from this offense, but like. It's one thing. It's one play, and and they would have had that. You know, Kate Otten dropped a pass that would have moved the chains on McMillan, on, and McMillan's wouldn't have, wouldn't have moved the chains, but he dropped it too. It, I mean, those were two passes that hit dudes in the hands. It wasn't like Dylan Morris dropped back and had you know six guys in his face, and they were just totally non functional. You know, they 
I doubt Oregon would have been playing up on the, the, the line to gain, you know, do or die. We are not giving up this fourth and 10. Like there probably would have been some room to pick that up because, you know, the Ducks more than anything are going to prioritize in that situation, not getting beat over the top. Let's not give up a cheap, easy touchdown here when, you know, we we can stop these guys even if they get a first down. So I, you know, I couldn't, I, I couldn't believe it. To me, it signaled either that you – have so little faith in your offense that you might as well not even try or, and maybe, and, or you are trying to save as much face as possible by not giving Oregon the opportunity to tack on another touchdown, which to me should never be part of the equation in that situation. Completely. I completely agree with you about the second spot where I thought it was a face saving technique. And where I was like, there's no room for that because a, with the way that you hung your butt, cheeks exposed out with the things you said this week like you can't you 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 can't go be getting like oh we don't we don't want to look bad at the end like no you and the other thing is you still do have a chance to to tie it's a one possession game and i hate illogical things i yep. I, I i i hate there is an under and and this happens in football where people make decisions that are just not rooted in logic and that that the punting there was one of those it it's not it's not logical it's one 10 yard completion to extend the drive compared to the series of things that you had to say oh by the way so then you can complete four or five consecutive passes that gain double digits like that you're saying that's more likely and it's just not it was so and it was just in some ways man it was the perfect it was the perfect summation of just one of the most inept coaching weeks I've ever seen. And not just from my team, but just ever. It was just, my God, what else could you do? What else could you do over the course of this 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 single week to make yourself look worse than, than what exactly transpired? Because by and large, Washington played pretty competitively. Like they for the, for the most part, and I know that people will get mad about that. But Carson Bruner showing some 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 moxie. You you punt it, race Porter. Maybe maybe that was why he punted. He wanted to get the ball in the hands of his best player. Yeah, you got to get so the MVP just, on the field, right? So he did that. But and that defense, the defense really did hang in there. But it was that's that's the third time this season. That's the third time this season Washington has lost to an opponent that really didn't have to throw a forward pass to beat him. Oregon State, Michigan, and Oregon all would have won. In fact, Oregon might have won it more comfortably had it not attempted a forward pass the entire game. They are 1-3 in in games this season in which the opposing quarterback throws for fewer than 100 yards. It's gross. It's just gross. I mean, that that doesn't speak to anything other than the utter ineptitude of your own offense. It doesn't speak to anything other than the fact that it inspires so little. Like... Not only does the does the opponent not have to take care of like let's keep pace with them, they're like, oh, dude, we really don't have to do anything. Like no. once we 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 don't really have to just don't kill us, just do not kill us. That's that's the offense that we need this game. Uh, and and they did, you know, they they gave them a touchdown. Yeah, um, which they did. that was a heck of a play by Bruner. I loved his eyes on that play. Yeah. He saw where it was coming. And by the way, Oregon, this is this is going to be following the same line as me getting mad about what Cristobal said in the locker room. O- Oregon, Oregon's quarterback, like that's going to be a problem for them. I I don't I don't see them making much of a a run. Like if they get into the into the playoffs, that's going to. 
they don't have enough of a passing game. They got some receivers, but I, I don't, I was not real impressed with, with their offense. No, um, they are, I, I was impressed with how physical they are up front. I mean, I think Travis dies a a great running back. Um, yeah, I would agree. He's fast enough. He's so, he's so tough and, and, you know, hard, even not the biggest guy, but still hard to bring down on the first hit. He's good after contact. He's shifty. Um, they they kind of seem like the the kind of team that was Washington's ceiling offensively, where you know I don't think anyone felt like Washington was a team that was going to light people up offensively, but Oregon's offensive line and running backs performed the way that I think was like the the best case scenario for Washington this year. Oregon's whole team, I mean, they they stopped the run, they are efficient against the pass, they make plays, they intercept passes. Um, your speed is something else. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know how many more times they Washington wanted to throw wide receiver screens. Like, let's get the ball on the perimeters. Like, yeah, man, that's not going to work when they're that fast. No, <laughs> trying to find the edge. Like, it's a it's a fast, impressive defense that they have. Because of everything that happened, we probably didn't. You know, it kind of got lost in the in in the analysis. Just how critical the interception Dylan Morris threw into triple coverage was they were, they were driving. They actually had some momentum. It was second and four. If he can just either check that down or, or even, you know, throw it into the seats. It's how how about, how about not throw it into triple coverage? Yeah. Anything. He he found, he found the worst spot on the field to throw it to. Like credit him for that. Like that's not easy to do (laughs) in that limited amount of time in the pocket, but he found the worst spot to throw it to on the field and proceeded to throw it there. That, you know that really changed the game, um, and again, it was it was an unforced error. I don't. I'd have to go back and watch it. I don't think he was under any really. kind of particular duress. It just, I don't know if if he just pressed and and was really you know trying to make a play, and you know I'm I'm throwing it to Jalen McMillan no matter what, or if there was a guy or two that he didn't see, um, but. You know that was it was second. There were three dudes there, Christian. I know you're being so nice. You're being so nice. I'm trying. I'm, try- I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to explain the unexplainable here. But it was it was it was second and four from Oregon's 42 yard line. He had completed a pass to McMillan for 12 yards for a coveted first down. Yeah, on a drive that started at their own 40. So already great field position again. They're still up nine to three at this point. They're they've got a, a first down on Oregon's half of the field, and Cam Davis runs for six yards. I I, I would bet if you went and looked up the uh, ESPN um, winning percentage chances, you would or win win probability. I don't know that Washington ever had a higher win probability than the moment Cam Davis gets up from that six yard gain, um, because Dylan Morris throws an interception on on the next play Oregon does go three and out after that. Um, and, and Washington, you know, that's, that's when they get the ball back and, and Sean McGrew has the failed fourth and one at, at, at the 23. So maybe, maybe that was the moment that their, their win probability was highest, but Oregon wins. Oh, oh no, the, the, it wasn't when he got stopped that the win probability plummeted. It was when they lined up in wildcat, yeah. like in anticipation <laughs> of that play. That's when the thing that's, that's when the thing really triggered. They're like, they're doing what? And then, and then when they sent out the punter on fourth and ten with one fifty-seven left, the thing broke. Like it actually exploded. 
It was like we have no frame of reference for what just happened, and it it just it, it exploded. Seriously, it burnt the guy's hands and everything. Like, it was like my wind probability meter just exploded. Jimmy Lake broke it. We haven't even talked about like the punt decision was so bad that we literally have not even talked about the fact that the uh, snap sailed all the way to oh, like that Red was Square. Just, you, you know what? You me- you remember what R- Rashid Wallace used to say? Like Rashid Wallace hated hated officials. And when somebody got called for a foul and, and it, they missed the free throw, he would just yell, ball, ball don't ball. lie. That's exactly what I felt when I saw that punt sale there. I was like, you deserve that. You deserve that. The only way that could have been better is if that had hit you square in your bathing suit area. That snap had ricocheted off the goalpost and directly onto the sideline and, and, got, and got Jimmy Lake square in his bathing suit area. What a, what a disaster that sequence was. My goodness. It was just just brutal. And it was there was sort of this feeling of like true self-loathing. Like it's difficult to achieve true self-loathing. And maybe that's the thing because usually like, Washington's lost 15 of the last 17 games to Oregon. Like I'm familiar with what it feels like to leave that, that stadium having lost to Oregon, having watched that and being mad. This was the first time I didn't even have it in me to be angry at Oregon fans. Like I, I didn't, and for the most part, like there's, I, it wasn't until yesterday. Is there some guy named Nick Scott or something that like lives down in Portland? Uh, he, he, doesn't ring a bell for me. There's somebody. There's there's some guy that got bothered me yesterday. He claims to have formerly played for the Ducks. Um, I, I for the most part stayed completely like wasn't angered at all by Duck fans, which is unusual because I usually have a really really terrible like level of patience with him. I was like, no, no, we deserve this. We deserve to feel this. Br- we did this to ourselves. They should sing on the light rail. They they should sing on the light rail and celebrate it. Like we're horrible. We deserve this pain. It was the first time I'd felt that true level of self loathing after an Oregon game. I saw some people pretty upset that Oregon tried to score a touchdown on its last possession. Oh, no, I wasn't mad at all. I absolutely do that. I don't get that. 100% deserve that. Yeah, I, I, especially in a conference game, first of all, I... Dude, he's academic prowess. Yes. The coach talked about the academic prowess. Like, you can't can't do that and then say, oh, man, don't run up the score. No, absolutely, 100%. I think it's... I I will say this, and this, this is at the risk of me getting up on a soapbox... Crystal Ball saying that they're everything that's wrong with football, like that's bad. And if if Washington's coach is saying the same thing to Washington players about Oregon, like that's that's wrong because that's that's what leads to some of the stuff we saw after after the game and 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 players really wanting to fight. They're amateurs. Like at at the end of the day, they're they're amateur players. Like I think that's really bad. But running up the score, especially after Jimmy Lake talked trash, hell yeah, Oregon had every right to. They should have tried to score. I think, I think the the running up the score rules go like this: in high school, when you have the opponent clearly physically overmatched, you don't you don't run up the score. Right, you run between the tackles for the rest of the game. That's what you do. In the NFL, there's no such thing as running up the score. Correct. You're all paid professionals. 100%. Get over it. In college, uh, I think if you're playing an FCS opponent or a group of five opponent that just does not have the same resources as you, clearly is not on your level, you don't run up the score. But in conference games, I kind of subscribe to the same thought as in the NFL. You're basically on the same level. There's some exceptions. You know, there's there's relationships between coaches that play into all this too. But in a rivalry game, 
the opposing team's coach has talked shit about your school's academics the the preceding yeah. Monday. It's 11 on 11. You yep. you probably thought you had every chance in the world to beat these guys. You know what? They, they don't just get to go out there on air and, and add a touchdown. You, you have something to say about that too. Go yes. out, go out and stop them if you don't like it, you know? hundred percent, hundred percent. So I don't, I don't get the, and I, did you see Joe Moorhead said that, so they scored, it got reviewed, it got overturned and they put it on the one with a running clock with 10 seconds left. They send their offense out there. It looks like they're going to run a play, but they just let the, the time tick off and the game ends. You see Joe, Joe Moorhead said they actually did want to run a play there. They just couldn't get it in. Yeah. Good. They should. I know. Good for them. I, they, I, they absolutely, I have zero problems. With I was that. surprised they like they sent their offense out, and I was like, "Oh, how about this? Like they're gonna they're yeah. gonna punch this in, man. This is this is something. They really this is bad blood. They really they really want to run it up here." And then when they let it run off, I was like, "Oh, okay, Mario's just playing head games with with UW or something. That's kind of funny." Um, but to yeah, it, it it makes a lot more sense to know that they did want to score because why else would you send your offense out there? But um, it isn't it like. That stuff, it's amazing how secondary all of the stuff that actually happened in the game has, has become. Um, and I don't know. It's deservedly I, so, though, right? I mean, that's... Oh, yeah, it completely. Be, it, became, it became very quickly. And, and I think that's probably like why when I say that like I left there not angry about Oregon fans or the idea of them celebrating, because it's very clear that there is a bigger problem. And it's a it's a it's an issue that's about to to get worse. And I and I see the the idea of Jimmy Lake and the interaction with Ruperake is separate from then the underlying question, but they're kind of tied together. Like there is a real question about whether or not he's the right guy to be the head coach. And I I I think I think what he did with Ruperake is wrong, no matter what. I think it warranted some sort of correction, no matter what. You you don't touch players. Like you just if you're a coach, you don't touch players. And if if it's something that you can back away from by saying like, "Hey, I was wrong. I won't do that again." And without a suspension, fine. The, this that I have no issue with with there being a one game suspension here. I I don't think I'd be that like up in arms of like, "Oh my god, he can't be there." The idea that they should fire him over that I think is ridiculous because if you're gonna fire him. It's not because of that. If no. you're gonna if you're gonna fire Jimmy Lake, you're gonna fire him because of the direction the program has taken, and just the overall leadership that you saw in the past week, right? It's the it's it's the 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 fact that he, the offensive coordinator he stuck with this far was as bad or worse than we've ever seen in this game, and that he ramped up the emotional stakes and his and was completely ill-equipped to 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 lead a team that played pretty well but just they didn't get a chance to win like they did not come in there with a plan to succeed that that's at the end of the day that that that's the coach's requirement right like give your players the best chance to succeed in this game i don't think they did that against oregon and and most of that goes to the offense but some of it goes to just overall the 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 environment that jimmy lake created by insulting oregon by by sort of it, relishing in the rivalry then the fact that when when things were popping off then he lost control all of those things you have you have real real questions and uncertainty about and i would tend to agree with you i'm not sure how he continues long term as the head coach given what's happened that was more i see i i have a, a column that's up on the athletic today that basically makes that point and right I, it yeah. could it could be read as oh you know the 
that the author of this piece thinks that Washington should fire Jimmy Lake. It's not even really about that so much as I, my interpretation of the situation is that they have no other choice. Right. They've, what are your what's what's the path out of this? If the if the path what's the path for him to remain your head coach in 2022, which is when I read your column and which is really well stated, I it's hard it's hard to see how how he's going to have a chance at succeeding next year even if you believed he could. Would you would you like to see him coach the last two games? Yeah, because I don't think there's anything accomplished by having an auxiliary, like somebody having Junior Adams uh, call your offense. He's going to already be in that spot, but having Bob Gregory, does it give you a better chance to win those games? I don't think it does. Um, do, do you? So that's I guess that's another question. Do you care how this season finishes, um, or do you want them to do the thing with whatever it is with with Jimmy Lake and with the coaching staff that makes the most sense for the future right now? Both. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I'm not someone who believes that you have to dive into, like, I want it to be as humiliating as possible so the school has no other choice. I I generally think it's bad practice to lose games. Like, just just overall. And wishing wishing for pain, whether it's because you want a top draft pick or you want a coach fired, that generally, the kind of collateral damage that comes with that, you end up sinking yourself. I think it's possible to say and do both and to say, I want the best long range decision made for the school. And I, I, I want, I want them to win as many games. I I want them to win the apple cup. I'm going to come back up for the, the Arizona state game. Um, I want them to win the apple cup, but I, I, I don't think those are, those are mutually exclusive. I don't. Nobody's going to be tricked, man. If they win their final three games, nobody's going to come out and say like, "Oh, they're on the right track." And they've really turned it around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think this past week made sure that <laughs> there does a... he's called uh, academic prowess. He's smacking a Max smacking a player <laughs> like he's punting when it makes no sense. Uh, I. So I, I, if I had to put money on it, I would not. I would not bet any amount of money on Jimmy Lake coaching another game. Um, but yeah, recognize that there does exist the possibility he could come back for these last two weeks. If they get to six and six, there's no chance that he coaches the bowl game. Is there? I would have to think that any decision would be made, you know, the Sunday after the Apple Cup at the latest. Yeah, it it is. Are they going to be able to afford to do it? I mean that's a it's a legit question in post COVID AD. I mean I know that those sort of decisions get beyond just what you've got in your coffers, but it's not just a head coaching change. It is a new head coach and new staff. That's that's one of the things that up until this last week I would have said Jimmy Lake had working for him, which was that's in 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 a matter of sort of. 50% one way or six to one, half a dozen to the other. He might stay because of the economics that all, all college athletic departments are dealing with. But the way Oregon, the way that week went, I think that probably changes the math in, in regards to that. Yeah. I think and you, you hear this a lot um, in response to the question, can they afford to fire him? I, I think they would say that they probably at this point um, 
can't afford not to fire him. Yeah. Um, yeah. 63,000 for Oregon. And, and it's a weird year. There's a vaccine requirement and the weather was absolutely terrible. Uh, as, as you know, you were there, but that's, that's oh, a man though. I was, I was undercover. <laughs> well, good for you. I think no, no, our, our, our usual, our usual seats, like the seats that, 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 that the four of us have, um, are they're they're in the hundred level. They're on the, in, in, in the, <laughs> they're, they, 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 they would have been in the prime. They're on the North stands. So they would have just been brutalized, but we actually, there was another friend of ours who has them undercover the 200 level on the South side. So I was, it wasn't that miserable for me. I can, to say. I cannot fathom sitting outside, not undercover to watch that football game. The people who did, there, there weren't many of them come the second half. I mean, I just looking out from the press box to see the way it was coming down. I was like, man, is, is anybody going to come back to watch the, the, the third quarter of this football game? But um, I'm not sure how homicidal I would have been at the punt at that point. Like if I had stood in the <laughs> ring for four hours to have the punt happen. And it was like, four hours. Yeah. It was oh. a long game. I felt bad for the ref and that he kept having to run over. Like, I don't know how many steps he got in, but he kept having to jog over. That was pathetic. Reviewing spots. Uh, that was, that was I count also counted five uh, ref whistles with his mic still on. Yeah, he didn't cut his mic. Yeah, you might go was, a whole se- you might go a whole season without hearing five of those. Five in that game. Minor that nitpick. Brutal. You know, I've got one. I've got one complaint because I was really hoping today that we were going to be able to talk about the pole assassin. The pole. <laughs> Are you familiar with the pole assassin? As far as I know, nobody on UW staff owns a monkey or <laughs> or is romantically involved with anybody who owns a mo- owns a monkey. Did you? I mean, can 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 we can we can joke about this, right? Because I mean, I know that a kid got his finger bit, but like he's okay, right? He didn't he didn't have to have it amputated or anything. Like we're safe. Um Danny, we we absolutely cannot joke about a football coach's wife owning a monkey who bit a child. There's nothing <laughs> There's nothing funny about it. <laughs> the monkey doesn't belong to Banks. Is the special teams coach Jeff Banks, who's actually one of the highest paid members of Steve Sarkeesian's staff? He's very highly team. thought of. He's a great recruiter. Yeah. It belongs to his girlfriend, Danielle Thomas. <laughs> the animal is a white faced capuchin named Gia with her own Instagram page, <laughs> who used to perform alongside Daniel Thomas when she was a pole dancer known as the Pole Assassin. Pole and was Assassin. Featured on the- and was featured on the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> and her defense, the kid apparently stuck back. She was like, well, he snuck into our backyard. <laughs> the monkey bit the kid's finger. And I'm like, still, I don't know if you can have a monkey. <laughs> I get that it's Texas. <laughs> there, are, there are like zoning requirements. Are there? You can't just be running around having a monkey. <laughs> My favorite part of that was I, someone posted a screen grab of her kind of defending it on Twitter, and someone I think it was it was PFT commenter who who tweeted to her like, "Hey, just you know, heard about this. Want to make sure everything's okay?" And her first response was something like, 
people are spreading all these lies and that kid wasn't supposed to be on that part of the property. <laughs> exactly. That was the problem. Is that, that was so you're saying there's as, a kid. Yeah, there, there was, that, that was clearly marked as monkey land. <laughs> and it was said, if you run in there, he's going to throw poop at you. Oh, uh, <laughs> the pole assassin. <laughs> and then I was kind of like, that is an aggressive name for that act. Like, that's generally, like, there's nothing very seductive about the pole assassin. <laughs> and then you find out that there's a monkey that performs alongside her, and I'm like, what kind of act is this? I can't get past uh-huh. the, the monkey part. That, <laughs> I, so, uh, I, I forget if it was a Texas player or a recruit or someone. Someone dug up a, an old tweet of, of a, either a player, I think it was a player, tweeting about how he wanted to get a pet monkey. And uh, Pete Kwiatkowski, their their defensive coordinator now, obviously a familiar name, replied to him and, and said, no, you don't, uh, which would have been good advice for for uh, Coach Banks's household, I think, post-Halloween. Do you think the special teams coach had to call anybody? Because in these sort of things, I always I – always, what I'm most interested by is that sort of rationale we all have when when something happens that we know is kind of an issue and we try to do sort of triage in our mind. You're like, do I need to call somebody about this? Like when when the special teams coach finds out the kid got his finger bit by a monkey, like do you think he's like, I better call Sark? Or do you think he's like, yeah, I'm just going to see how this one goes? <laughs> because... It's by far worse when your boss finds out and you didn't tell them, right? Like, it's by far. Because then Sark's got to deal with, what? You got bit a monkey? Yeah. I what? Feel, I feel like at a program like Texas, you, you got you to gotta start back channeling. You got to get out in front of that one. <laughs> yeah. Some, someone's going to find it. Especially since it, she was, like, advertising it as, like, a public, like, neighborhood Halloween party. Come on by. She posted on Nextdoor, I think. Um, that, Hey, adults welcome from this time to this time. And, um, (laughs) (laughs) look, the kid wasn't supposed to be on that part of the property. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. The pole assassin. Oh, it could be worse. Maybe that's better. I don't know. That's what I was just going to say. Jimmy's like, I wish that's what I was dealing with. They're suspending me for what happened. I didn't have a monkey running around a while. (laughs) He doesn't even get in any trouble for it. Everybody laughs about it. You know, uh, to keep the special teams connection, Race Porter could get away with having a pet monkey who misbehaved. You you yeah, punt you exactly. punt like yeah. rest border you know you, you you down balls at the one yard line you can have two pet monkeys if you want yeah he was phenomenal in that game absolutely fantastic that was a good save to bring it back to back to reality <laughs> um, ASU this week I I can't say I've looked much at at their roster or or done the the typical opponent scouting at this point for for obvious reasons but. Um, does, does this team go in the tank or do they do the whole rally around the, the interim guy and, and, and a new offensive coordinator who obviously is pretty popular on the team and, you know, people, 
people like Junior Adams, I I wonder if if maybe we might see a more inspired effort this week. Not to say that the players didn't like John Donovan, but you know maybe uh, maybe you see guys rally around the the new guys in new places. The offense is going to play better. I think it's possible there will be enough mistakes to sink Washington, but the offense is going to play better. You're going you're going to see you're going to see more opportunities uh, for Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan. They're going to throw the ball more. Um, I I actually I don't think they'll end up winning this game, but I think that I think that the product is going to look better. I think their team is going to play better. I think it's going to be twenty seven twenty four, but I. I think actually I'll feel better about how they've played than I have in most of their games this season. Junior Adams, did you see Junior Adams' response asked if Dylan Morris is still the starting quarterback? It was coy. I'd be real surprised if they started somebody else. I think if I'd you're, be real, I'd be real surprised if they if they started somebody else. I what think did you think. I think if if you're going to start Sam Heward, you can't do it until next week because if you if you put him out there this week and it goes well now you have to play him five games and i i don't think preserving his red shirt ever should have been a priority this season but if it's gonna be five games and not four you can't you just can't do that you cannot do that you can't you can't burn his red shirt to play him in one extra game um so i don't know that you know junior's comment was much more um he left things much more open than Jimmy Lake ever has regarding the quarterback position. And, and maybe it's just because, Hey, it was, it was Monday. This all just happened. They hadn't, I don't think they'd even practiced yet. And so it's just, you know, I'm going to keep things real vague in general until you get your bearings type of thing. Um, may, maybe that, maybe they give Patrick O'Brien a look. I don't know, but uh, I, yeah, I, I tend to think they'll, They'll rally a little bit. I don't think they'll play as poorly as they did against Oregon. I'm not sure if that's even possible. Um, I don't think they'll win. I, I see. I see a pretty similar game. I'll, I'll say Arizona State takes this one, 24 to 20. How about Arizona State coming into a game where their coaching staff maybe doesn't have the the biggest issues right now? Or maybe yeah. maybe they still do because that that that's a ah. that's a pretty nasty investigation that that seems pretty clear cut in terms of what's been provided to the NCAA and the media. But yeah, there, it's it's a big mess. I I also do you think do you think Herm's getting some 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 artificial turf up top? He's been bald for a long time, and now it seems like he's got a very very strong head of hair. Like I've wondered if there's a little bit of Deion Sanders going on up there. That, I haven't that, noticed that. He, that. that he's, that he's cheating. Yeah, it's it's possible. Um I've so I liked the way that they set up their program when when Herm came in, where Herm was going to be in charge of basically the the football operations almost. Like once you once you got there, it's been a huge mess. That school has always been sort of the the sleeping giant in the conference. People have said it for so long. I just I don't know whether it's the institutional uh, difficulty of breeding toughness when everybody wears flip-flops on campus or whatever, but that is a perpetually underachieving school. And I I would agree that the investigation looks pretty clear-cut. Although I I do have to say, like, what are we even doing with with investigations anymore, given given the changes in uh, name image likeness? Yeah, no kidding. It seems seems weird when we talk about those. Like what happened with Oklahoma State and how they got banned from postseason play over stuff. And I was like, it's just, it's really strange to see punishments coming down 
from older rules as the NCAA at the same time is trying to tout that it is transitioning to this different this different era of amateurism. It's it's a it's a huge contrast to see. I'm imagining the people in the NCAA compliance office getting getting these like tips come across their desk and just going like, "Huh. Yeah, wow. Looks looks like they broke the rules." Um, that's fine. What's yeah. the, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh when we sit down to do this uh at this time next week, who who knows uh where Washington will be at. I expect this to be a pretty rapidly evolving situation. Um but we do know for sure that that Bob Gregory will be the head coach this week. They're going to play Arizona State. Uh the season marches on and we will see you all next week. Watch out for those monkeys. Do that for sure. Farewell.